Internet, we already told you, and we're still super excited about this live one-year anniversary show, Premium Pete Show in New York City at the WeWork Soho location space. Let me tell you something. I am so excited that we collaborated with WeWork because, they, I mean, listen, their locations are dope, but the Soho location is next level. That's right. So I want you to check for them at WeWork.com and check out any locations they have in your area because they're doing dope shit and they're doing shit for creatives. And I fuck with that. And I fuck with them that they collaborated with us and gave us a chance to have the internet come and celebrate the one-year anniversary of the Premium Pete Show. Sponsored by UN Athletics. Listen, shouts to UN Athletics. They, 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 they listen, they're up to so many things. They just did a collab with Two Chains. It's official. Check them out on unathletics.com. And I will say, listen, we're going to have past guests, special guests, costume changes by Miss Listen Knows. Got that right. I think I'm going to do a little bit of comedy that night. You are. Who knows? Snacks, beverages. Maybe I'll even bring some fucking pizza. DJ Ted Smooth <laughs> on the one and twos. The Remax King will be in the building. And uh, listen, just a lot of friends, family, and, and I want you there. I want you to be there and listen and, and I want to meet you. We both want you there. Come through. RSVP at PPSRSVP at gmail.com. Again, I give it that to you. PPSRSVP at gmail.com. See you at the show May 4th, 7-11. 7-11. What Beyonce yeah. says? 7-11. 7-11. See you there. 7-11. Internet, this episode is sponsored by the College of Hip Hop. That's right. Let me tell you something. I've been getting so many people hit me up about, yo, Pete, I heard you talk about this College of Hip Hop. I downloaded the app. I fuck with it. It's official. And I'm glad, I'm glad that we're able to put somebody on because let me tell you something. It's not about them only sponsoring. It's about you guys learning right. that there's shit out there to expand your mind. You Open know? up your mind, Craig. They got interviews. Whether you got a GED, a PhD, or you down with OPP, this is the information station to be. Exactly. They got interviews. They got you know publications. They got all information. Templates for some contracts. They're going to answer all of your need-to-know questions in this music industry. Stop fucking around. Just go download the College of Hip Hop And don't be trying today. to call your homeboy who the yeah, producer that. over there. You just need this app. Go get that. How app. much it costs? Free 99. Get the woo out of here. College of Hip Hop app. Download that today. Tell them Prim Pete Show sent you. And if you can't, give me some bundles while you at it. Cheer. Thank you. Come on, everybody, get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. Miss Listen no. it's the Premium Pete Show. This is the Fordham section of the Bronx. My home, a world unto itself. You could get to any borough in 15 minutes from here, but they might as well be 3,000 miles away. There's my building, 667 East 187th Street. There's my stoop. And on warm summer nights all through the neighborhood, you would hear the sounds of young Italian men romancing their women. There's Mount Carmel Church, and the sound of the bells would fill the neighborhood. That's about it I remember. <laughs> it stops there. Hey, Pete. what happens if you would change it into 2017? <clears throat> what would it say? This is the Premium Pete Studio. No, <laughs> this is Premium Pete Studio. Well, let me let me tell you something. Right off the bat, before we even say, I mean, we're gonna say we're gonna reintroduce you twice. We got Leo Brancato in the house, okay? But before I even say that, I want to say, when you spoke those vocals. Where the fuck were you? Meaning, like, were you in a studio? When you, like, you, those are voiceovers, right? That's a voiceover. Absolutely. Right? Where were you when you did that voiceover? It was a place called Sound One Studio 
1619 Broadway. Okay. And 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 that's where they that's where they did, that's where you were invited. How did that happen? Like they told you you had to come in and do that was part of the job for the movie. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I knew from the beginning, you know, the script, and then it would have, you know, VO for voiceover. Okay, okay. Well, we'll get, well, listen, we'll get right into it. Listen, welcome back to another episode. I'm excited because Cologino's here. Oh, well, listen, Lilo Brancato's here. Cologen, listen, I'm black, okay? Cologino is in the building, y'all. Cologino is in the building. <laughs> y'all know Cologino likes some chocolate, so I'm here, one of the greats, opening doors, Ready for you. Okay, okay. Well, listen, first off, we're going to even just bring people back just to, you know, what I like to do with the show is, and, and this is what I, I was telling Lilo is, we like to have multiple different people on, whether it be comedians or jewelers or rappers or entrepreneurs or actors or just, you know, just, just really just diversifying, you know, people's ear holes, so to speak, so they can hear things and learn things about people and what it took and, and some of the times and moments. So let's take them back to even just Lilo Brancato growing up. Now, growing up, Lilo, I know that, you know, you were adopted, right? Right. At, at How old were you when you were adopted? I was four months old. Did you even get a chance to ever meet your original parents? No, I didn't. Do you know anything about them? Um... <clears throat> I knew that, uh, well, I knew I was born in Bogota, Colombia. I knew my last name was Rodriguez. My mm -hmm. name was Saul Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, my biological mother's name was Patricia or Patricia, as mm -hmm. you would say in Spanish. Um, the father's name, um, I never knew. Um, you know, as far as being curious to want to know who they are now, I mean, I don't really have a reason for that. I have a great family. I was adopted into a, you know, a, you know, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better family than I was adopted by. Um, the only reason why I would ever want to know or want to know some sort of background was because, you know, there's maybe some illnesses mm -hmm. that I would be predisposed to genetically mm -hmm. that I would want to know about. So therefore prepare and maybe take, you know, maybe do things, maybe don't eat a certain type of food that would trigger off that sure, illness. Sure, could be diabetic or something. Absolutely. Now, did you, um, did, when did you find out that you were adopted? Believe it or not, I always knew that I was adopted, um, but I didn't know what the word meant. But how? Uh, how did you even, how did you know that? Like? The, 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 the day I found out, I was in Catholic school. And, you know, I was brought up, you know, Italian parents. My father's Sicilian off the boat, build houses. My mother's Calabrese. The parents that took you in. Right. My mother's Calabrese off the boat. So mm -hmm. they're like not Italian-Americans. They're Italians from, sure, from sure. Italy. And they have, you know, a very uh, strong work ethic. And, uh, you know, they gave us more than they ever even dreamed of having. My father worked like, a, you know, I mean, he's suffering for it now. He's, you know, not in the best of health because of how hard he worked his whole life. And I remember one day... Uh, I don't remember what it was. I did something bad. I was a bad kid, and I remember my father whipped my ass. Mm. It gave me a, you know, I mean, gave me a beating. The beatings that we 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 got back then. You do that to your kids now, you're gonna do time. Right. Yeah. You can't do anything. You brought them into this world, but you can't touch them. Right. Yeah. You know. But uh, I remember I got my ass whipped, and I remember like you know, and I remember my mother came in my room, and uh, she said, you all right? You know, and uh, I said, yeah, I'm all right. And then she told me, she said, uh, you know. She goes, uh, you know, you know, we're not your parents, right? And I says, yeah, no, no, I know, I know. I says, Mary and Joseph are. You know, I was going to Catholic school, and mm. that's what they teach you. Mm. I said, yeah, you know, Mary and Joseph. And uh, 
my mother said, oh, no. She goes, no. She, and she told me, she said, you know, you know, you're adopted. She said, and what that means is that you were given, you know, someone else gave birth to you and they couldn't take care of you for whatever reason. And then we saw you and then we adopted you. And that was like, whoa, yeah. you know, changed my whole life. And, and, and Do you remember after, how old you were when, when, when? I had to be about eight, nine years old. Did you ever find out the circumstances why your parents gave you up for adoption? No, I didn't. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a show called Narcos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You ever seen it on Netflix? Yeah. That possibly maybe shed some light because I was born in Colombia in that time, 76. Right. And that was during the Pablo, the rise of Pablo Escobar and how violent that country was and what was going on. I mean, uh, you know, there's many different reasons. Maybe, you know, maybe from watching the show, maybe I had that in my mind. But uh, hopefully, hopefully it was for, uh, you know, a good reason. Now, let me ask you, did, did honestly, and, and, and as someone who who's became a friend of yours, did, does, did that bother you, um, you know, growing up? Did that ever bother you in a sense of where it hurt you? That, you know, that you never got a chance to know who your mother and father was? Um... I asked that, and I'll tell you why I asked that. I asked that because I know a lot of people dealt with even addictions, and a lot of, I'm not saying, you know, a lot of that sometimes is because of, you know, wanting to chase for their parents or the uh, the depression of, is, does that bother you like that? No, it doesn't. Me and my brother are very different. I have a brother, his name is Vincent. Mm-hmm. I'm 40, he's going to be 40, uh, May 12th. Mm-hmm. We're nine months apart. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, nine months apart. They think, like, we're real brothers. Like, nine months apart. Wait, yeah, you how did that come home from the hospital and have sex right. that night? <laughs> you know? Irish twins. You know? So, and my brother's like, you know, we're very different. We have very different personalities. You know, he's very rigid. He's, like, got that old-school Italian mentality. Sure, sure. You know, he's fucking very... And I'm more like, you know, I like to joke around. I don't know, sometimes it doesn't bother me. It never, I can't really say it bothers me, but sometimes it arouses curiosity in me as to why I am the way I am in certain aspects and why he's so different. You know what I mean? It just makes me want to see my real parents in action for just a half hour just to see how they interact with each other sure. and what kind of people they were. So then they may say to myself, like, oh, all right, well, that's why I like to break balls because he used to do it too. Yeah. Or, you know. But do you feel that when, you're, when your mother came in and talked to you, you would say you were eight, nine years old. After yeah. that, was it a spiral down of getting into trouble and, like, you know, becoming a, a, a knucklehead, so to speak? Well, I got in trouble because I was always very disruptive in class and I always mm-hmm. wanted, atten- you know, attention. Sure, I always sure. had to be the center of attention type of guy. But I always did well. Like, I was always a, like a good student. Like, I always was an honor roll student. I always excelled mm-hmm. in, in as far as an education. Sure. Um, but, you know, I got into fights and, you know, stuff like that. And I was thrown out of St. Anne's. I was thrown out of Westlake High School. Now, when I you went to Catholic Sacred School. Heart. I was thrown out of... Like four or five. When you went schools. to Catholic school, there was nuns there, no? Yeah. How, and and were they allowed to hit anybody at that yeah, time? Yeah, they were. They really? Were, yes. Did you ever get hit by a nun? I got hit by a brother, brother John Bantz, oh. <laughs> brother John in Mount Saint Michael. Really? Yeah, I got hit in uh, in uh, junior high school. I remember I, I was sent to the office like every single class, like four classes in a row. 
I kept getting sent to the office, and he's like, you know, you again? So he called my mother up, and he said, uh, you know, listen, your son's, he's, you know, getting in trouble every single period, and, you know, would, can I have permission to, to hit him? And my mother's, please. <laughs> my mother's like, my mother, you know, please you know kill him so if funny. you want. You, you know what's so funny? Italian, uh, Italian um, mothers back then, like they, it's funny because I was in Catholic school. I got kicked out when I was in the third grade and I went to public school. But Italian mothers were like, relied on like that system to be like, yeah, hey, sure, give them a fucking crack. You know, like, like. That's all they know. That's all they know. No, but if you think about it, you know, it's like Catholic school is, uh, you know, the whole system of the nuns and the stuff like that. Like, what did it really teach you? That they hit you with a ruler or that they hit you? Like, did that ever teach anybody anything? You know what I mean? Does it really work? No, I don't. I mean,. I think the, uh, you know, I don't want to get into it all, but I think the, the, you know, I am Roman Catholic, but I think there are many flaws. I think, you know, the fact that priests can't get married causes yeah. a lot of problems, causes a lot, and affects a lot of kids. I'm sure. not going to get into why, no, no, but I, I think I've it's spoke pretty about obvious. It. I, I have spoke about it on, on, on multiple episodes about how, you know, um, even me, that's why I don't go to like church like that anymore. I go to like a, a, you know, a Baptist church because you know what it is? I go to Catholic church and it's like, you can't relate to anything. You know, it's like you would want them to be married so you could hear about, you know, you know, hear, hear part of the mass to be about what they're going through and stuff like that. You know, so, but didn't you, didn't you play, you played a priest later on in life. What'd you play a priest in, didn't you? Yes, I did in a movie called uh, Monsters of Mulberry Street. It was actually the first thing I did when I came home from prison. And yeah. uh, I thought, you know, what better than to play a role as a priest? Yeah, yeah. Um, the kid, Frankie, he's from Yonkers. He went to my high school. He's a younger kid. And, uh, you know, he, he came to my house literally with a script and a box of cookies. And he said, Lilo, I got this script. You know, I want you to be, you know, we look up to you. You know, him and a few of his friends from Yonkers, they were actors and they were aspiring, you know, to do movies and stuff. And I uh, came to my house and said, we want you to be in this movie. And uh, they offered me a role. The character's name was Rocco. But in the in the script, the guy was, you know, it was all about violence and all this. You know, I just didn't think that something like that at that particular time would sure. do me justice as sure. a person, let alone as an actor. So I said, nah, I'm, I'm going to have to decline. I think it's too violent. This and that. He said, well, we really want you to be in this. He said, uh, you know, he says, you know what? There's a role of a priest in the script, but it's the, the character's written a little, actually a little older. But if you want to do it, he goes, we can write him younger. You know, you could play a priest. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. What better role, you know, to play than yeah, a sure. priest? Sure, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to uh, you know, coming home and, and just, you know, adapting back into, you know, just life itself. But let's get to, so, you know, you, you grow up with your mother and father. You're growing up in Yonkers, right? And, uh, you know, she lets you know that your parents, um, you know, that, um, you know, they adopted you. And then you move on into just, you know, going to school, right? And just living life, you know, playing sports, I'm sure, right? Yeah, I played, I played uh, you know, I was I played a little baseball, soccer. A lot of soccer because, you know, I grew up in the Italian family. No bocce ball? Yeah, we just, with no uh, fucking shoes on. Some of those Italians play bocce ball in the park with no fucking shoes. You ever on. see that? No. No. Yeah. You know what bocce is? No. You throw the little ball. All right, you throw the little ball, and then that is you got to get you got everybody's got two balls. <laughs> no, but it's true. Everybody's I know that got, game. You got you got two balls, right? And it's whoever gets the big ball close to the little ball. Now, safe. A red ball is close, the closest. Now, the guy with the green ball, he can move that red ball out of there by knocking it out of there. Right. You know? And then I like marbles, but bigger balls. You know? And it's funny because, you know, you got all these Italian guys. Like, every one of them has a bocce set in the trunk. 
And every one of them's got a tape measure too. Because they're all one's a plumber, one's an electrician, and they got the tape and they all like these guys are at a family party, they got the tape measure <laughs> on their thing. And they're out there literally you know, measuring who's closer and stuff and uh, you know, they it's it's, it's big. a serious game. Very serious. They all get drunk on the wine and they <laughs> and they play. Now let me ask you No, Joe, Green is a closer, Joe. The first time you even thought about um acting or wanting to act, is that the the Jones Beach story? Or is it before then? <clears throat> no, I never I, I never take, wanted take, to do it. Take us through the Jones Beach story. Well, prior to that day, I never really wanted to act. I never. I mean, I guess I was too young to even realize <clears throat> that that was something that I was good at. I was on the beach that day. You were 16 years old, right? 15. 15. Right about to be 16. Okay. Jones July, Beach. July 5th, 1992. I turned 16 August 30th, 1992. And uh, I was in the water, and the guy there was this guy, Marco Greco. Mm-hmm. He was handing out flyers because they were looking for a kid to be in the Bronx Tale. So just handing out flyers to people on the beach? Right. They wanted, you know... Real Bronx, like real kid, well, like authentic. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, but the why were they in Jones Beach, Long yeah. Island? Well, they were all over the five boroughs. They okay. just happened to be there that day. I heard about the movie, but, you know, like, I mean... I mean, I, I was told, like, as a kid, oh, you look like De Niro, you know. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe... But, like... It's such a long shot. You're going to be in a movie with De Niro. Like, right. nah, yeah. that's crazy. You know, so I was in the water <clears throat> and the guy was handing out the flies. My brother Vinny said, uh, hold on, I'll get my brother. He'll be perfect for this. And then my brother came and he lays, called me, lays. like, come here. So I run out of the water. I didn't know what happened. He was like, do you remember that movie they were talking about, the De Niro movie? He goes, that's the guy right there. He's, he's handing out flies. I told him that you look just like him. And then he introduced me to the guy. And uh, the guy said, oh, wow, you know, he does look like De Niro. Right. So, wow, he definitely he could definitely pass for his son. And he said to me, he said, have you ever acted before? And I said, no. And, you know, he said, well, it was a Sunday. He said, usually we're not open. It was the Belmont Playhouse in the Bronx. He said, usually we're not open. He said, usually we're not, uh, we're not open tonight. He said, but, you know, he said. Uh, for you. Yeah, if, you know, I would definitely like for you to read. So why don't you come in tonight? And uh, I said, all right. So he gave me the address. It was down in the actual neighborhood where the movie took place, but we didn't shoot it there. That's dope. We shot it in Queens. And, Wait, uh, a Bronx Tale was shot in Queens? Yeah, we spoke about this on a previous Just uh, like episode. Harlem Nights. They disrespect. No, so, no, there was some places that were shot in. Well, in the, City Island was yeah. shot in the Bronx. I mean, you right. can't. Yeah, you can't that was, that. But Webster Avenue was shot in uh, Brooklyn, in uh, Sheepshead Bay. And the um, the Italian neighborhood was shot in uh, Astoria, Queens. Mm-hmm. Was there ever any real tension between the black people and the Italians on set? No, no, no. It was in just only, only, only in the movie. But what about um? Okay, so so you were saying so he let you read that night. So you 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 go down there. <clears throat> yeah, he gave me the scene when. Uh, were you taking it serious? I mean, were you like you know I'm gonna go down there and read? Or? No, yeah, I was taking it serious because you know what, you know the fact that he was taking me serious made me take it serious because before that I thought it was such a long shot that I didn't take it serious like come on what's the chances of me being in a movie with De Niro but when this guy was like all excited like you know what I mean oh my god you look just like him like you know he was like you know like you have a this is you're a possibility right. like this is a possibility you could be in this movie like you look just like him like you even though even though and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong maybe you know sometimes I think we judge especially at that time too especially Italian people Think about this guy. He's handing out flyers on on fucking Jones Beach. You, 
like this is the fucking plug. You know, <laughs> like no, you know what I mean, Leo. Like back in the day, yeah, that was different. No, but back in the day, I'm thinking like this guy's handing out flies. Like, is he really the one that could get me in so quickly? And he was. Well, his name was Marco Greco. Okay. And his family has a store down there. My family still goes down there, like you know, for holidays and stuff, because you get the, you know, the food when you're buying like a lot of fish or a lot sure, of meat. Sure. You're buying it down there, you get it for a better price. And my parents go down there still to this day and buy food from his family. Yeah. And uh, he was just a casting scout at the Belmont Playhouse. Okay. Uh, he's a great guy. I mean, if it wasn't for him, you know, he found me. But yeah, he was always, always a really good guy, Marco. So walk us through. So you go into, you go into Reed. Right. It was the scene when uh, I was shaving in the movie. Okay. But yeah. in the original script, it was De Niro shaving. And I come up to him as he's shaving. Dad, let me ask you a question. You know, Joey. And in the movie, it was Joey Orso. Okay. But in the script, the original script, it was Joey Bomber. Okay. Like Joey Farmer. Yeah, <laughs> Joey, yeah. Joey Bomber. Yeah. He said, Joey, you know, and, and that was the scene. So he, he gave me the scene. He said, uh, you know, read this scene. And who and was that? It was... It was nobody. It was me and him. <clears throat> and he had a friggin', you know, a camera on a tripod. Mm-hmm. And he said, learn the scene. He said, when you're ready, let me know. I'll be in the other room. He said, we'll read it together. And I never saw, I never seen anything in, in like screenplay format. This is the first time. So I just looked at it and it just looked like something that I knew how to do. You know, interior night, bathroom, it described the setting, you know, as Lorenzo shaving. Okay, Dad, let me, you know, so I just basically knew what to do. I learned the lines and I told him I'm ready. And he came back in and uh, we did the scene. And he said that was the best that anyone has ever done that. Really? Yeah, he was like, wow, that was great. He was like, that was perfect. He said, do you want to, do you mind reading some other stuff? He said, we got some, you know. And uh, I said, yeah, no problem. So he was giving me other scenes to read, and I was doing really well. And then, uh, you know, he said, you know, have you ever heard the name Calogero? And I'm like, yeah, of course. My father's Sicilian. The town he's from in the province of Agrigento, there's yeah. a little town called Naro, mm. N-A-R-O. Mm. And, you know, in Italy, every every town has a saint. Mm-hmm. My father's town, Naro, the saint was San Calogero. Really? San Calo, San Calo. My father went to San Carlo, the boarding school. That's where he went. I was, this name I've heard my whole life. So to me, like, a lot of people hear the name Calogero. They never heard it before. This yeah. was my father's uncle's name was Uncle Calogero. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, Charlie. Char- you know Chaz? Yeah. That's what his name is, Calogero. Yeah. Chaz is a Hollywood way of saying Charles. Yeah. Charles is Calogero in American. Yeah. So, so, so you, you're impressing him. Loved it. Loved it. And then, you know, and then at the end, he says... Uh, he said, you know, take my number, you know, give me a call in a couple of days and I'll tell you how you did. When he said that, it kind of like left me with a bad taste in my mouth when I left. He said, call me in a couple of days, I'll tell you how you did, you know? Yeah. So Plus like, you're uh, young too, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you know, because like I went from a non-believer that day at the beach to like believing like I could get this part then to like saying eh, call me in a couple of days eh, it's not, eh. so it was like Hollywood talk yeah no he said call me in a couple of days I'll tell you I did in other words like listen he was like it was alright you know, yeah, call yeah. me in a couple of days <laughs> so, so hopefully you forget my number by then <laughs> and, then I, and I gotta tell you listen kid you suck <laughs> you know so, but believe it or not, they had my number also, and they, I was working for a law office at the time. Mm-hmm. A very good friend of my family, he's a real estate lawyer. My father's a builder, and he used to do the closings through to my friend, Corey Rabin, you know, older gentleman, and he was also, uh, you know, 
He was, he's also sober since 1982, and he knows what I went through and was very supportive through my journey. Corey's, you know, great guy. And uh, I was working for him. I was working for his law office. Right. You know, I was, he's in Yonkers. About McLean Avenue, Yonkers. I was, I was making $9.50 an hour. Really? That's that a lot for back then, what? right? Yeah. $9.50 an hour? I was 15 years old. Oh, yeah, he was taking. $9.50 an hour. I was doing nothing. Beautiful secretaries. Because it was a law firm. It was like four lawyers. All all four of the secretaries. All four of them were good looking. Listen, I need a little help. Can you show me? Can you come downstairs with me? We used to have all the file cabinets down there. I installed everything. I was. You were a jack of all trades. Oh, forget it. So, so what? When did they did they call you back? Like, what? what did, so, did he? Did you call me a couple let of me days? Tell you the story. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> Wait, Cologen, but were you saving that the money, the nine fifty an hour, or were you splurging? What were you doing no, back then? But, with the money? I wasn't even allowed to go out. You know, past ten o'clock. Right. I was, I was saving it. I had a, you remember Fahrenheit? The, uh, the, yeah, the clone? clone. The clone. That's why I used to put my money in a little Fahrenheit oh. box. Okay. It was all rolled up in there, yeah. stuff right in. Nice. Well, his mayor shit. Um, I went to work, because remember I told you it was Sunday? Yep. Did the audition. Sure. I went to work the next day, another okay. day at the office. Yep. I went to work, came home. I remember I was making English muffins. I was at the thing, the phone rings. <clears throat> it was like four or five o'clock at night. It was like five o'clock at night. Phone rings. They said, hi, we're looking for Lilo Broncado. That's my father's name. Right. And when I heard that, I thought it was some lady, you know, calling my father. They want like a, you know, an extension built on, right. their, built on their house. Place of order. Yeah, you know, so I said, yeah, hold on. You, 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 hold on, let me get my father. She goes, oh, and she goes, are you Lilo? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, no, no, I think I want to talk to you. I said, you know, like, yeah, you know, she said, oh, she goes, I'm so-and-so down at Tribeca Productions. There you go. And she said, uh, you know, we saw your tape, you know, the tape that you did with the guy Marco. She said it was fantastic. She said, you did a great job, and we, you know, we want to meet you. And, you know, then they gave me the address down on 375 Greenwich Street. And uh, I remember I had a, you know, call back the next day. So really? I, I had to call Corey, my boss. I said, listen, <clears throat> I said, listen, I can't make it. I had my cousin Pat. I called him. Up. I said, listen, you got to do me a favor. You got to go work for me. He knew- <laughs> and you know what? Pat became a lawyer. That's hot. Pat became a lawyer. Really? You know? So so, so you head down there. I went down there with my father and my father's youngest brother, Joe, my Uncle Joey. And I remember when we went down there, it was like, there was like literally, there was like 200 kids in there reading for my part. Wow. So I was like very intimidated. And you know, like these kids were like actors. You know what I mean? These guys, you know, you got these kids walking around with the scripts and they're like, you know, talking to the wall. Hey, Dad, you know, hey. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, these guys got me beat. What am I going to do with these guys? Okay. And I'm like, they're real. You know, I'm over there just sitting there with my uncle, my father, my kid in the corner. And then eventually they they called me in. I did did my, you know, did whatever they wanted me to do and they loved it. And they said, listen, can you come back tomorrow? Absolutely. So then I went back again the next day. And then when I went back the next day, there was a lot less kids. Right, they did some cuts. Yeah, a lot less kids, and then I got called back another day, another day, another day, another day, and then eventually it was just me. But what well, any, sorry. No, but just how did you have the patience to not give up on that? Did you did you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Because you know you're young, and you know it, it's just taking a long time, and you know what patience does kids have? He wanted to get out the hood. He wanted that nine fifty to elevate to some more coins. What do you think? Um, you know what? It was just a blessing. It wasn't that I didn't have the patience. It was just like something that I never expected. Right. So I didn't really not not have patience. I just took it as it came. 
But then when I started getting those callbacks and I saw that there was less and less and less and less and less guys, then I said to myself, this is for real and it's common sense. Right. The reason why there's a lot less guys is because they like me. Making the cut. And and you started reading more scripts for them and stuff like that, like of uh, the movie. Oh yeah, they had me. They had me. They had me working with acting coaches. Wow. I remember this one lady. Because I guess just because of the whole situation, you get a little nervous, right. and just being in that setting. I remember this one acting coach. She wanted me. Like I looked at her, like, "What are you fucking crazy?" She wanted me to. She wanted me to start screaming and running around the room. <laughs> I, I, this is a grown up, a grown lady, say to me. She said, she just meets me. She goes, how do you feel about screaming really loud and running around the room? And I just met this lady. You're like, no. I said, well, you know, I've got to be hundred. I don't know how I feel about that. And and she had me do it. Yeah. I'm, ah, I'm running around the room like a nut. So acting, act, act, Yeah, so, exercise. I mean, I guess if you're not nervous to do that, everything else is going to be easier. Right. You know, I mean, that's like, <laughs> how many does it really give, ah, scream my head off. Were there so, any other like actors that you beat out that are like also famous now? This is a rumor. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's true. But Johnny Depp wanted that role of Cologero. Yeah. But I mean, not to say I'm a better actor than Johnny Depp. You make I, more sense though. I, I, I respect him. He's a very, very talented guy. He's one of the best out there right now. But I guess the reason for the choice was. Maybe because of, like you mentioned, the authentic, the authenticity. Yeah, and unknown, like who you know what I mean? Like, and uh, you know, and also I heard that Halle Berry wanted the role of Jane. Really? Yes, yes. I heard that, and you know, would have probably made a lot more money the movie. Yeah, I'll tell you that. You think Terrell Hicks was a problem, like a part of the reason why I didn't make as much because she was unknown? No, well, we were all unknown. Not Terrell. Terrell Hicks was great in that. You know, she was great in that in the movie. Yeah. Terrell Hicks, she's very talented. Did you still she talk sing. to her? No, I. I seen him on Instagram. Um, I think we, we said a couple words. I just said, how you doing? I don't know. You know, it's a people, you know, they suggest you follow. Yes, yes. And I saw her on it. I'm like, oh, that's Terrell, you know. I'm Did like, you follow? Oh, uh, yeah. And, right. you know, and then I even said, hello, how are you? You know, how's your mom? Because I remember her mom used to be on the set all the time. She's a school teacher now. Really? She's a school teacher in Jersey. She's doing really well. She's a beautiful family. And uh, she was always, you know, she was always very nice. I wish her, you know, wish her all the best. Hey, listen, you and her, it's funny because it's, uh, you know, I always, it's crazy because of even how we connected, you know, you think about like the internet and you think about like where people used to tag you when they used to put, when I used to put pictures up of like you and, 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 um, uh, Taraj, you know, um, not Taraj, Terrell, Terrell, when I used to put pictures up of her. People used to be like, you know, pre- you know, that's you're the you're the Bronx Tale, and then finally when we met and, we, and and you were like, yo, you're the real life Bronx Tale, you know, you would tell me all the time. But you think about something like that, you get called back, right? Right. So now it's down to nobody. The lady has you, uh, you know, screaming and stuff like that. Where do you go from there? Well, one other thing I wanted to say was, you know, like. I met Chaz because he would, you know, you'd see him around the building and he'd oh, come Oh, so, so you finally met somebody, okay. Right, Chaz came up to me and he said, you know, hi, you know, I wrote the script and, you know, you, we, we, we've been watching everything you've been doing and you're doing really great, don't change anything. I still hadn't met De Niro yet. And uh, everyone at that point was introduced on a first name basis. And then I remember someone said, we're going to go upstairs and meet Bob. I didn't know that was Bob De Niro. Yeah. So I remember he had his back to me. Chaz was right there, and I could see him as I'm looking. 
in the room, but De Niro was right here. I walked in through there, and I remember, uh, I didn't know that was the back of his head. He bring me to the door, and he said, uh, hey, Bob, uh, Lilo's here to see you. I'll never forget when I when he turned around with that upside-down smile, that frown. <laughs> and I remember, yeah, that's just like, wow. You know, it was Robert De Niro, you know, and he just came, he walked toward me. He was great. And, uh, you know, he was, I mean. What did he say to you? He, he basically said, you're great. You know, you're doing, you know, you, you, we love what you're doing. Just keep doing it. And, uh, you know. And that's coming from Robert De Niro, you know, Robert De Niro telling you you're doing great. And, you know, I was like, wow, you know, now I knew this is like as real as it gets. I would have never got to this point if, if I, you know, they weren't taking me serious. Sure, sure. <clears throat> so then it was like, you know, every day with De Niro, every day, you know, they still hadn't cast the kids who were going to play my friends. So what they do, from my experience, I've seen in other things, they mix and match. They look, they put different combinations together and to see who has the best chemistry. You may be the best actor, but with this crew, he works better. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And then, well, let's take him out and maybe we can try him as slick. Huh? You know what I mean? And it was a lot of mixing and matching, a lot of mixing and matching. And, and the girl... Too, yeah, I mean, I must have kissed like 30 girls. Because they, you know, they, they were, and. Did that increase your love for the chocolate? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the girls were older too, because I was, I'll tell you why in a second. I was only 16. Oh, yeah. And the girls at that point were like 21, 22. And like I said, I'll tell you in a second why. And some of these girls came in and they were so nervous, so nervous, so nervous. And you know what? The ones that were nervous, I can remember, like, they weren't really, they were kind of overlooked. But I remember when Terrell Hicks came in the room, she wasn't nervous. And the thing that they liked the most is when she asked me what my name was. And I said, Kalogero. And she went, Kahoo. The way she looked at me and said that. Because that was important, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of the other girls, they didn't nail that. But when she said that, I just felt it. We all felt it. And as soon as she left the room, De Niro said, you know, like, how did you like her? I said, oh, she was great. I said, she was the best one. And she, you know, obviously ended up getting apart. Right. But uh, so now it got to the point where De Niro said to me, he said, he said, tomorrow we're going to have a screen test. You know, in other words, he said, put you, put... Dress like you're going to go to church. Wear a pair of slacks, shirt. We're going to have a screen test. I don't know what that means. A screen test is when they put you on film. Right. Because you may look one way, but then on film you look totally different. Right. Film makes you bigger. It make, make your neck look bigger. Nah, you don't things, look like... Nice, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you get some people, you put them on film, they look like Skeletor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the kid, they was back and forth with all the different kids and then the last screen test was Cologero and guess what it wasn't me alone there was another kid there and I they kept him a secret I never seen him oh snap I never seen him they had us come at different times so I never seen him he was never in the couch waiting they probably I leave a fork I tell him to come at 430 you know what I mean so like when they told me like you know he comes up to me he goes hey man what's up how you doing I'm Phil he goes I'm reading for Cologero what I don't know about this shit, right? <laughs> Yo, my, my heart dropped because I'm saying he got this far because he's good. Yeah. He didn't get here for no reason. He's got, he, they right. like him for a reason. Right. Whatever reason it is, he was 21. 
that's why all the girls were older. Oh. Because they thought he was going to be C. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So they had all older girls. And you was out here killing them. Little kid, yeah. So you know who he was? He was the kid in the Bronx Tale who shot Sonny at the end of the movie. Oh, snap. Remember Phil? Yes, He's yes. my boy. I love that kid. He could have been like, he could have been like, you know what, fuck Lilo. He moved my whole life. Because of him, I'm an electrician now. I could have been an actor, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not saying there's anything wrong with an electrician, but, you know, he's, when I was away, the kid came to see me twice, put money on my books. Great, great guy. Yeah. But when he told me that, man, in my heart, it was like, oh my God. So everybody else left. All screen tests throughout the day. Now it's me and him, man. It's me and him. So we did that scene, we did that scene when, Sonny thought I put something on the engine. Yeah, he came and, and got he slapped the, the shit out of yeah. me. Yeah, he did the scene first. So I'm waiting outside the room. I'm over there with my father. You know, I'm 16 years old. I'm all dressed up. I got the slacks on, the shoes. He's in there too. He's got his slacks on and his shoes. They got him in there. I don't see it, but I hear it. They beat the shit out of this kid. Where the fuck you go, my sonny? I hear him screaming. Yo, you hear him? Oh you, no! You hear? All you hear is this. They smacked him like six times. I'm like, holy shit. That's really? Because I'm thinking, I got to go in there you after him. And then I'm going to get beat up too. I was like, what the, you know? This kid came out of the room. He had handprints all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> his shirt is ripped. His hair was all fucked. I said, what the fuck? You know what? You can have the part. Take it. I don't want this shit. So now I go in there. And I did the scene, and they didn't hit me. They didn't hit me. That's how you knew you would see. Yeah, they didn't hit me. So I remember, like, you know, make, to make it a point later on, and they say to Danilo, like, Bob, what? you know, they call him Bobby now, you know. I said, Bob, I, oh, yeah? See how he gets, see, look, look, one second, what? There he is. Go ahead. So I said to him, I said, Bob, I said, you know, I said, I remember when we did that, that screen test, I said, you guys really laid it on Phil. You really guys, you know, I was afraid to come in the room after that. I said, why didn't you guys hit me? He goes, we didn't have to hit you. He said, you did what we wanted you to do without having to hit you. And he said, I knew when you did that that we were going to give you the part. But he couldn't. He didn't tell me that then. Right. <clears throat> that was a Thursday. And I told you I was going down every single day. So they said, tomorrow you're off, Lilo. I said, I'm off. I've been coming every day. Now I do this. I'm scared. That was the longest weekend of my life. Yeah. So I remember they called me on Sunday. And they said, Lilo, Bob wants to see you tomorrow. And I remember I went in there, and I knew this is going to be the day that my heart's going to be broken. It's going to change my life yeah, forever sure. in that way. Or it's going to change my life the other way. Sure. My father takes me down. You know, it's like I was deaf the whole way. I couldn't hear anything. I was just thinking, like, what's this guy going to say? What's he going to say? So I go down him. He's on the eighth floor, but on the elevator, you need the key to go to the eighth floor. He overlooks the balcony. I mean, he's sitting, and he knew my father... Danilo was such a great guy. I used to call my father Mr. Broncado. <laughs> my father, oh, call me little. Oh, Mr. Broncado. So I said, Mr. Broncado, how are you? Tells me to come up. I go up. And you know Danilo, he's big with the facial expressions, you know? Yeah. And I remember him and Chaz just sitting there. and So I'm just like, say it, say it. I get this part, you know? And then he says, uh, we watched all the footage of, you know, what we shot and... It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, he said, you got the part. And I was like, whoa, you know? He told me, you got the part. I was like, wow. Like, did, I gotta... did they shake your hand? Oh, or... yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, wow. I said, I said, oh, my God, you know? And then I went out. 
I said, we, I said, can I tell my father? He said, absolutely. So De Niro came out with me. He had his arm around my shoulder. And I'm looking down at my father. I told him I got the part. My father was very excited. You know, he didn't start screaming. Yeah. You know, he just went like that. You know, congratulations. Then I went and I said, can I use the phone? I want to call my mother. He, he told me to use the phone in the bathroom. I remember I called my mother. <laughs> and it was very exciting. It was life, you know, life, uh, life-changing moment. I mean, now, how did you even know, like, did you get yourself, like, a lawyer? Or, uh, uh, like, how did you even know about, like, like money-wise? Because I remember you said, how much did they give you for that part? They didn't give me a lot of money. Yeah. They gave me like twenty five thousand. And you don't get. But at the same at the same time, it wasn't about the money. Just to just to the opportunity. The, right, right. Just for them to have given me that opportunity and to have Robert De Niro's name was on that movie. Right. He was that was his directorial yeah, direct, debut. Yeah. Yes. For him to have put that reput his reputation in that title and just that you know opportunity in his own life in the hands of an amateur, someone that's never done it. I mean, that's, I mean, it's an honor. I mean, this is probably one of the best, if not the best to ever do it. And to say, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to put you at the helm of something that my name is going to be on and it's forever. And, uh, you know, and still to this day, you know, I mean, when I was 16 years old, I don't really think I realized what it was to have been given that up, I, I couldn't comprehend it. But as I got older and realized how much I do love to act and to be in this, you know, business and to want to pursue it, I mean, it doesn't really get better than a part like that. I mean, sure. And, and yeah, and you did so much too. You know what I mean? Meaning like that part, you know, you, you narrated, you, you started. Leading role. I mean, yeah, Leading you know, role. like you did, you, like you did more than, I, I mean, more than I think they could have ever imagined. And I think not only did you prove to yourself, you must even prove to them, you know? Yeah, well, I hope I hope I did. I hope I did. Uh, you no, know. I mean, look, it's still a timeless movie. But, you know, having said that, you're 16 years old, you, you do the movie. Did your fucking life change? Like, meaning, like, you know? Absolutely. It, I mean, it changed somewhat while we did the movie, but it didn't really change until the movie came out. When that movie came out, and you know, like you I'm watching, like you know, I'm watching, you know, Jeopardy at seven o'clock, and then to see them you know, in theaters this Friday, you know, and to see myself right. on TV like that. But <clears throat> the first time I ever saw anything like the first time I ever saw myself, it was by surprise. It was summer of 1993. We shot the movie in '92. The movie didn't come out. Was not released until October of '93 in theaters nationwide. That summer, I remember it was just a regular weekday. I was at my cousin's house. He's like four years old. They're his friends and, you know, him, you know, a few of my other cousins. And, you know, we just were sitting in the street hanging out. And we didn't live, you know, where my, my aunt lived it wasn't too far from the movie theater in Yonkers, Cross County. <clears throat> so we said, uh, you know, you guys want to go see a movie? We didn't really have a movie that we wanted to see. But we just, you know, let's go see a movie. We could walk. It's right down the street. So I remember... We happened to get there. The movie that was playing was the movie The Firm, mm, the firm with okay. Tom Cruise. Yep. So I was all right. We bought tickets for The Firm, and you know we go sit, we sitting in the movie theater, you know, and then eventually the lights the lights go low, and then the the, the coming attractions come on. So I think it was the third one, second, first, second, and then the third coming attraction. I see the big Savoy Pictures logo. And in my own head, I'm thinking Savoy Pictures is who produced the Bronx Tale. I'm like, oh, Savoy Pictures. Like, they don't know. And they, <laughs> they produced the Bronx, right, the Bronx Tale. That was them. You know, so 
But in my own head, I'm like, oh, yeah, so boy, you know. And as the logo was on the, uh, on the big screen, I hear a voice. <clears throat> I hear, all these years, what have I been telling you? And then when it cuts to the, the movie, it was me with the hat on. That's so dope. When Sonny said, you know, all these years, what have I been telling you? Then it's me saying, yeah, I know, stay in school, get two educations. I know. Whoa. That was unbelievable. Like a feeling that, you know, nothing so else. Yeah, I mean, my heart started racing. I mean, it was just like, wow. What did your friends say? Oh, everybody started screaming. That's and, so cool. Yeah, they just, because, you know, they, they knew I was in the movie and stuff, but when you see it, then you're like, you know, this yeah. is for real, man. Yeah. This guy's really in a movie. You know, Sonny, Sonny uh, you know, they interviewed him later on, you know, um, after things happened with you and your wife that we'll get to. Um, and he said that they that he feels like they they set you up for almost failure because they gave, you became such a superstar at such a young age with that part. You know, do you feel like that you you were destined for like success or failure from being so challenged at a young age? I mean, it's not. I mean, yes, you know, it can go either way. When you're given so much so fast at such a young age. A lot of bad decisions can be made right. behind that. And, you know, it's a recipe for disaster, as it was in my life. But there's, you know, plenty of others that were given that same, you know, opportunity. or And they went on and made better decisions and obviously, you know, didn't get into trouble like I did and didn't cost, you know, another human being's life. Yeah. So. You know, um, in the Bronx Tale, there's so many gems so many so many lessons that people have learned everything from the twenty dollars you know he's out of your life um everything from to be what loved or feared you know but you know that one part i remember you spoke about you know i've seen that that part where i think it was to be loved or feared it was it that part that you said that that was the first time you ever got high yeah now what were you just smoking weed or what was it <clears throat> yeah we're smoking weed i mean i drank before but i never smoked weed i mean i i, I smoked I smoked one time before that, and I didn't get high. I thought I was high, and then I remember a couple of the guys on the set had some weed, and uh, and I thought, you know, they were like, you want to smoke? I was like, yeah, no, you know, absolutely. I said, you know, because I'm thinking to myself, I smoked the other day. It was no big deal. You know, I could handle it, but I wasn't really high. A lot of times they say you don't get high the first, first time. First time, yeah. Well, well you I, get high, but you don't know what high is. Nah, so. believe me, when I knew, when I got high that first time, <laughs> I knew what it was. I'm always chewing a piece of gum. And uh, almost no, it's not, no saliva. So that first like, time you I got knew, high. I was like, wow, this is it. That, that wasn't that, that, that was wasn't high that first time. time. <laughs> that first time you got high was the part like where where um you yeah, were asking I, I Sonny about being yeah, I thought, feared. Thank God I didn't have a. That's the only line I had in that whole scene. Thank God it was all Chaz with that whole monologue. If you see the way it is around here, I tell people I say a joke, everybody laughs. I know I'm not that funny. You know, he goes on through the right. whole thing. The only thing I had to say in that scene was, "Is it better to be loved?" Feared. And, and I was like so high I couldn't believe it. Like I like you give me you give me that opportunity now to be in a movie like that. You want me there at seven o'clock in the morning, I'll be there at six thirty. Right. I'll be waiting for you. You'll right. never have to wait yeah. for me. I'll be sharp, sharp, sharper than the sharpest knife in the world every yeah. day. And now when I do work, the opportunities I am given, I am that way because I realize what a what a what 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 a gift it is right. that has been given to you, and you were to treat it that way. But back then, I didn't know better. You know, there's actors. You got guys. Th their whole life, 
their whole life they pursue an acting career and they don't even come close to getting a part like that. Right. Yeah. And and you know, and for me to have been given it so easily, maybe that's the reason why I just took it for granted. And you know, and I shouldn't have, but hey, listen, you know, we can't go back in you know Yeah, but I think it's important that your lessons, you know, it's like I feel like when people come in your life, they come in for e- either a lesson or a blessing. You know, and I think that also there's a lesson behind each mistakes that we make in life. You know, like, like to be honest with you, you know, you can't be afraid to ever, you know, and you, you know this, you know, I've been through my ups and downs and you've been through your ups and downs. But um, I think the biggest thing about it is to learn from stuff, you know, but let's, uh, you know, like, let's take it to you, you've been in some other movies, obviously, you know, right. So Renaissance Man, you know that happened right after the Bronx. Right. You got that part? Yeah, I had a, uh, I had a, um, an agent, and you know by that point I was going, uh, you know, on auditions, and uh, it just so happened that one, that script, um, they sent me that script. That was Penny Marshall. Yeah, she directed that, and I remember I went to read, and Penny liked me right off the bat. I liked her, and you know she's from the Bronx, she's Tremont, and. Uh, her and De Niro were very good friends. She liked me. She wanted to hire me, but she kind of like wanted to see what else, like, you know, what else have you done? And I remember Robert De Niro, he gave her a personal screening of The Bronx Tale so she can see, right. you know, my acting and stuff like that. And she saw it and she loved it. And I was in the movie. Now, why the hell did that character wear those black glasses like that? Is that <clears throat> just a part of the costume? No, that was the last. She liked the way I looked. Did you ever hear Penny Marshall the way she talks? <laughs> she was trying everybody with the glasses. She now, like, now, what came in? She out? had Mark Wahlberg try the glasses. Yeah. She had Kadeem Harders, everybody. And then she said, you know what? Lilo, put the glasses on. And then I put, oh, you look cute with the glasses, Lilo. <laughs> she goes, you're going to wear the glasses. Yeah. And that was it. I had them things on every day with tied around with. I remember seeing that movie with the, with oh, the black glasses look, like he that. Said, you look cute with the glasses. What, what came <laughs> after uh, that? Didn't, then uh, I did Crimson Tide. Okay. Um, Denzel. How was that? Gene Hackman. Great. Great. That was Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. The guy who directed that. You know, he passed away. Tony Scott. How was it working with Denzel? Oh, great. Denzel's from Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. I'm from Yonkers. Mm-hmm. We used to chat every day, all day. And uh, he's great. Denzel's a great guy. I even saw him when they did The Preacher's Wife in Yonkers. Mm. You know, like some people, you see him after a while, they act like they don't know you. Right. Denzel yeah. Washington saw me, started screaming, my lay low! <laughs> came he out, seems like he'll be like that, my man. Yeah. yeah. No, but, Denzel's a good guy. I haven't I seen him in a long time. It's funny how he says that, because I think a lot of industries are like that. You know, where you like, you know, you see people, and then they think like, yeah, 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 how you doing, buddy? You know, yeah, you see like, somebody... I don't want to mention your names, but I've seen some guys, like, they're not even, like, on the same level as Denzel, and they act like they don't know you. It's like, right. bro, you don't know, remember we were, like, hugging and kissing, we were laughing, we were telling jokes, now you don't know me? Right. You fucking half a rat, you don't know You got <laughs> Denzel, the guy who's, like, one of the biggest and the best in the thing, the guy. I was like, please, quiet that. He's like, now, screaming, you know? <laughs> now, and and about the, you and Robert, are you guys good? You and Bob? Oh, yeah, you know, uh, listen, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I haven't spoken to him in a million and one years. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, but I respect him very much. He never once said a bad word about me, despite what happened. Right. Never once said a bad word about me. And, you know, you got to respect that. I would love to see you guys reunite. You know, I would love to reunite. with. I mean, the guy's a not, legend. Not even on, like, a Bronx Tale. Because you know how they, like, doing all the movies over again? I would love for you guys to do, like, a fresh canvas, new movie. I think that would be so dope. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, listen. 
I mean, if the guy never gave me an opportunity again, I would be totally understanding of that. He gave me one of a lifetime, and, right. uh, you know. Now, what about Chaz? I know, you know, um, he is doing the play now. Right, and, and, the musical. Uh, the musical play for Bronx Tale. Um, but you, you haven't spoke to him either. I haven't spoken to Chaz in, uh, you know, uh, quite a while. I haven't spoken to Chaz since probably 07. Mm. More recent than De Niro, but I haven't spoken to Chaz in a while either. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know what? Let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, we'll find some more stuff about. We still got to dig into the Sopranos. We want to hear some stuff about that and just talk about the journey of Lilo Broncato, aka Cologeno. Internet, grab yourself a drink. Lilo. Grab yourself some mimosa, maybe Malta, maybe you grab Sydney, yourself. Sydney, have a cream soda, have warm. a popsicle, do something, please. <laughs> there you go. We'll be right back. Did you ever see that movie? <laughs> Don't go in the way. Internet, we already told you about that live show going down. One year anniversary of the Premium P show live in, New, in New York City. It's at the WeWork space. Oh, I in love Soho, them. In Soho. In Soho, the New York City location. First of all, Internet, I want to let you know. I'm, I'm so excited that we collaborated with WeWork. They, lo- they have got locations all over the world. And I'll tell you one thing. Official tissue. And the spot we have, May 4th, 7 to 11, where I want you to RSVP at PPS, rsvp at gmail.com again that's pps rsvp at gmail.com let me tell you something an official spot's gonna be a great night past guests in the building special guests in the building will be in the building and, and we work so you make sure you meet us at we work in soho and stop playing yeah if you lazy then you need to stay home dj ted smooth on the one and twos and i will say this it's going to be sponsored by ewan athletics and you know you listen ewan's doing so much dope shit out there and their collabs they just did a collab with two chains right you Fisher. win we win yeah there you go UNAthletics.com. check them out also cl95 inc cl95 inc one they're the, they're the creators of the link speech that the collaboration that they did with raekwon official so you know check for them at cl95inc.com they're one of the sponsors and listen listen i'm looking forward to the night just to see the internet me too past guests special guests like I and said. i'm doing costume changes so trust the plus it's gonna be a show to see there you go i want you to rsvp listen i don't care where you're from if you have the time and you got a babysitter or you got the time you got the time today cuz <laughs> make sure may 4th you got the time rsvp pps RSVP at gmail.com. See you at the show. Cheer. Al. And today, this episode is sponsored by the College of Hip Hop. We've already been telling you about the College of Hip Hop app, and it's official. The interviews they have there uh, with different just industry people, man, just the contracts and just letting you know game. Listen, I always tell people keep an open mind, and I fuck with the College of Hip Hop for fucking with us. That's right. And I also fuck with them for creating something for people to check out. Listen, I've been told you, I'm going to tell you again, and people have been hitting me up, and I appreciate people hitting me up, and be like, yo, I fuck with this College of Hip Hop app, you know? Because that's what it's about. It's about putting people on. Tell a friend to tell a friend. That's right. The College of Hip Hop app, it's free 99. Go download that shit today. Tell a friend to tell a friend. The game is to be sold and not told, but not in this case. In this case, you go right to your app store or your Play Store if you're playing yourself with an Android, and you get that app right now. Internet and we're back, sitting here with Lilo Brancato. Al Cologino in the place to Forget be. about it. Listen. Just um, call him C. As we're, as, we're, as we're talking about, you know, you getting a lot of parts, how did the Sopranos part happen? Uh, the Sopranos, I remember the first season. <clears throat> um, the first season, you know, no one knew how successful the show was going to be. And at that point in time, HBO just started doing shows. They're like... 
You know what I mean? It's like Sopranos were pretty much the pioneer, like the, the reason why a lot of these shows were given life. Right. You know, because of that show was so successful. And uh, I remember they was like, you know, they were talking about this new mob series on HBO. And I read for Christopher, Tony's nephew's best friend. Remember on the first season? His name was Brendan Falone. He was smoking crystal mm -hmm. meth. Remember mm -hmm. they killed him for robbing Uncle Junior's trucks? And they shot him in the bathtub. They shot him in the eye. Mm -hmm. Right. I read for that part. And they told me, we like you, but you're, you know, you're too young for the role. They said, but we like you, you know. Hopefully we get another season out of this. And they said, we're going to, you know, we'll call you back right. if we have something for you. And that was in the summer of 98, I read. And I remember like around Christmas, you know, because the show used to come out every January. And I remember around Christmas time seeing like coming attractions for the show. And, you know, James Gandolfini was nobody at that time. He was in Crimson Tide. He had a small part. And he was like in a few other movies. And... Like, I remember reading the script, and I remember it was, you know, the role of Tony Soprano, and I'm thinking, who are they going to get for this part, right? And I remember seeing that coming attraction, and I'm like, they got this guy? <laughs> Out of all the people, this guy? Like, who's, you know what I mean? And that guy was, like, probably, you know, one of the best actors I worked with. Like, I couldn't believe how good he was in that role when I saw that first episode. You remember with him in the pool with the yeah, ducks? Yeah, we Carmella! Ducks. Yeah. He was calling Carmella out to see the ducks. I was like, this guy's unbelievable. Nobody knew how great what that guy had inside of him. And I was like, wow, this show's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then it got a second season. And then they had me come in and read for uh, Matthew Bevilacqua, mm -hmm. the role that I eventually got. Young stockbroker, like a punk. And, uh, you know, I read for the part. Uh, you know, I got a couple callbacks and they liked me. How was the uh, how was the craft services? Uh, we always want to know about the craft services. Well, you see, I was hungry already. Now I'm even more <laughs> right. hungry. Listen, you Call up Fresh and Company. Get get everybody with it. And now, how was it? Like, how was the scene? How was you know? I mean, it was early on. It was only the second season. Yeah, but the show was like, oh, everything was great on that show. Everything yeah. was HBO. everything was top top. I mean, you know what though? You would think HBO, but you know what? You make more money on like a, a major network like CBS or you know because HBO right, don't have, HBO don't have cable. the sponsors. It's, it's only cable. They don't have the sponsors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, listen, I would have paid them to been on that show. You what know? would you say is your favorite role? What do you mean, working on or, or later on and watching it? Just of all that you've done so far. You know, there was this, you probably never heard of it, but there was this, uh, there was, you remember, it was called Dead Man's Gun. It was on Showtime. It was a series. And each episode revolved around the gun. That gun would be found by new people every week. And that gun brought evil into the lives of these people. And Dead Man's Gun, I did an episode called The Vine. The mm. Vine, like a, a vine. I was some, you know, this is back in like the 1800s. I was, remember, I was all, I was all fat. I was like, like, I, was like a, I was like over 200 pounds. I remember uh, we shot it in Vancouver and I play an Italian immigrant. Because, right? you know, I speak Italian. Right. And I speak, you know, with the accent and the show. You know, I speak Italian because, you know, at home. So I was able to showcase a little bit more as an actor and really show some range right. with that role. And the reason why I liked it, too, is because all my aunts and all my uncles saw it, and they were, like, very proud to see that. You know, they were like, you know what I mean? I don't know, I think that. 
even though like it never really went anywhere. Right, but, but the fact that you got to show something other than what people generally give you. Right, for and just a because role. of the way my family perceived it, yeah. they really liked it. You know. Yeah, and, and it means uh, listen when the family likes it, you know it's oh, a good thing. Oh yeah, well, because man, they'll tell you. Oh, yeah. As we they'll take, tell you they're brutal, right? The family. They're, they're very. Oh, honest. this is not look real. Yeah, you look. <laughs> you look like you're full of shit over here. <laughs> Let me ask him. Uh, my uncle Joe's the worst. He's always got something to say. Oh, it's looking like you have a trouble to put the gun in your pocket. Yeah. It's a looking like you don't know what you say over there. My uncle, my, my uncle Richie, he always bothers me. Every time I see him, he'll say, hey, what's the matter? You couldn't fucking, sh- you got some shit on your face? I was like, no, what do you mean? It's a fucking hair. It's a beard, you know? Hey, well, what's the matter with you? You want to grow a fucking beard? Yeah, that's why I have the that's beard. That's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just, you know how the shit is. But, you know, um, going back to the Bronx tale, the working man is the tough guy, right? Is it the working man's a sucker? Yes, yes. What do you believe? Because they say the working man's a sucker, right? What do you believe? Is this now, you know? You know, I mean, you can look at that either way. Yeah. You know, you got to respect the working man. That was my father. You know, construction worked like an animal's whole life. Got up every single day. There were some of the coldest days in the winter. Saturday morning, me and my brother, you know, we're home Saturday morning, snuggled up in those under those covers, and you hear your father waking up at six in the morning. Better him than me, you know. That sucks, but he still did it every single day, every single day. You could perceive that as being the tough guy, but you know what? He went to work, earned an honest living, came home, and didn't have to worry about you know feds coming kicking down the door. Sure. And then you get another guy who you know puts his freedom on the line every single day to give his son that 325 BMW for his 16th birthday and to send his daughter to the best school, the school that she wanted to go to. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, it's what you think. I'm not saying either one. I think more the tough guy is the guy like my father. But then if someone thought the other way, you can't disagree. Because they could say, you know what? Your father came home every day and he didn't have to worry about getting arrested. My father had to come home every day he, somebody's driving down the street. He thought he maybe he's getting arrested. So, so yeah. we could have this, 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 and this in this beautiful house. There's, there's no peace like not having to look over your shoulder. Right. I right. mean, you always look over your shoulder just to make sure nothing's happening. But not as in, in the sense of where you got to worry and 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 you know be be. You know, well, you're looking over your shoulder because good guys or bad guys are coming to get you, yeah. you know? You don't want that. You know, you, you started doing drugs, you said, at 15, right? Smoking weed. Did, 16 is one, yeah. Did that progress for oh, all these years? Absolutely. So, so you stayed doing drugs all these years? Right, from 16 to 29. I mean, you know, from, you know, the, the, the liquor and the weed, and then, you know, then I discovered the cocaine, and like, wow, this is the best shit ever. And I remember when I first did it, I said, wow, this is like, you know, this is great. And I said, well, you know what? This would be good. Like if I went out to a club, because like, that makes me feel so happy. Like I could talk to girls, and I'm, you know, I feel so good. And maybe I could. So then I started mixing the clubs with the cocaine. <clears throat> but the thing with the cocaine is, there's a saying in Italian. I'll say it in English. When the devil caresses you, he wants your soul, and that's what happens with the cocaine. The devil caresses you in the beginning, and everything is great. And then it gets to the point where you're doing it all the time. But that good feeling, that euphoric feeling it gets diluted every single time. And you're still doing more thinking you're going to achieve what you got that first time and you never do. Yeah. You know what it is? It's like a dog chasing his tail. 
Mm. He's never gonna get it. He's never gonna get it, but he will go crazy trying to catch that tail. And he'll never stop. And he'll never stop, and that's what happens. You know what the problem is too? Until he hits a wall and dies, you I, know? I, I relate to you a lot because you're like a neighborhood kid, you know, and, and, and you know, a lot of people I know that grew up in the neighborhood, you made money, you're flashy, you know, we weren't in movies, but the point I'm trying to make is you don't believe you're an addict. You know, you sit there and, and, and you, know, you know, people say, I don't have a problem. I remember, too, when I was getting in trouble when I was young and they wanted me to go to a program instead of jail. And I was like, I'm, I'm not an addict. Oh, fuck, I was. I used to fucking be, I, I couldn't stop doing drugs. What you was doing? A lot of you know, ecstasy, know. acid. Know. I already said it's not the first time. I smoked, smoked some brisk ones once in a while. But the point I'm trying to make is, for me, you don't agree because you think. Don't like, circumvent the question. We want to know what no, you no, did. No, I've, 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 I've spoken about doing drugs when I was young. I'm not saying that. She, new internet. I'm just new messing ones. with you. You know, no, but you know how I, you know, I like to break chops, and you do listen, too. Listen, it's okay. Yeah, we don't it's okay, like fuck. But listen, the point I'm making, the point I'm making is because of the fame. Because of the money, you don't think you're just like that crackhead on the corner. Right. You think you're bigger than that. You know what? It was never that. It was never that. I just never thought it was going to escalate because I got all the warnings. You know, like, you know, guys literally that are dead right now. Tommy Lee, you keep messing with that. You keep messing with that. And then, you know, like. <laughs> Do you feel like you were around enablers? Oh, plenty of enablers. Plenty, plenty. Like a lot of yes well, men? Well, you know, believe it or not, my mother was the biggest enabler. Not because of anything, because... His mom too. Yeah, but you know what it is? Because they don't know. They don't know what it's like. They have no... My parents are from the old country. They're from Italy. Right. They think, every, they think marijuana is like the worst thing in the world. My father was in the hospital. He had cancer in his stomach. They took it out. Thank God he's okay. God bless him. And he had no, he had no, uh, no appetite. And he's all fucked up. They're giving him morphine and everything. But because it's from the doctor, I tell him that shit is like heroin. Word. You're all strung out. That's why you can't sleep at night. Because they cut off the morphine. What do you think it is? Oh, little please, shut up. Right? I told him, I says, listen, you're not hungry? I says, I says, why don't you smoke some weed? I says, it's going to help you with the pain. And I said, it's going to make you, you, I don't smoke that shit. He gets all, you're like, they go crazy. Yeah. Right. Like, what do you, like, he's like, I'm telling him to stick a needle in his arm. You know, you, I you, tell Pop, just smoke a joint. There's nothing wrong with it. You guys make wine in the basement. Wine kills people, ruins people's lives. People get in the car with liquor, they kill each other. Guys beat up their wives, beat up their kids. That shit don't happen when you smoke, you know what I mean? I'm not saying that because, listen, weed can definitely serve as a gateway drug. But I'm just saying that, you know, it does Alcohol. have medicinal purposes. Yeah, but absolutely. I I'm mean, you know. Don't you worry. I got uh, the me personally, I'll never get you. Know, I mean, listen, I hope to God I never get high again. You know what I mean? For every day, I got over 10 years sober. And, you know, I think. Thank you. And I think, you know, I got a pretty good handle on it. But, yeah. you know, you don't know what tomorrow brings. You can wake up tomorrow. You'll be very depressed. There's something that's not sitting right. And you'll be out there drinking liquor and then smoking crack. But, Do you still you know? have a sponsor? You know what? I never really worked the steps. Okay. Narcotics Anonymous. Um, you know what? I think the way I feel and the way I perceive it is Narcotics Anonymous sets you up to fail. Right. They're basically saying, it's okay if you relapse, just keep coming back. You know, it's like you got guys 20 years and they still got to admit they're an addict. I don't know. It's like, you know, after a while, I mean, I think you've shown that you've are not an addict anymore. Right, that's you know? define you. Yeah, and to say 25, you know, you got guys, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I got 30 years, how you doing, my name's Joe, I'm an addict. But when was the last time you got high? 
81? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just like, and then, I don't know. They label Listen, you. Hey, but there are people something. that it works for. Right. And the coffee there is fucking amazing. Oh, they make coffee. It's like a, you know, like seriously, like crystal meth. <laughs> you got this coffee, your, your knees are knocking the whole meeting. Really strong, strong coffee in the world. And people brag too. They let you know, I made the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I made the coffee. The fuck out of here! Last time I drank the coffee, I was up for two days to each doing crossword own. puzzles. Listen, every every addict and every person who is involved in taking drugs and fighting the demons of the addiction have some very lows, you know. And unfortunately, you have gone through so many lows. What were some lows before you even got to that night that you said to yourself, "Yo, I got to fucking change." Because there had to be some well, lows that I got before you. Well, even got you know, after many years of doing the cocaine the way I did it. Um, I started experiencing what you call the cocaine psychosis. Cocaine, you're right. Cocaine psychosis is when you start experiencing the paranoia. You know, you start thinking like people are in the wall. You know, yeah. like your friends want to kill you. You know, and I, I, I it was during the 2000 <clears throat> World Series when the Mets played the Yankees. No, no, I'm good. I got one in it. Thank you. 2000 World Series, I remember I was in the car. We went to my friend's mother's 50th birthday that day. I remember all I had was the salad. <clears throat> because by the time the food came, we were already drinking. I remember we were already drinking. My other friend, he had the, you know, he had the blow. So we started doing it early. I was drinking scotch. I must have drank like over a bottle of scotch. Yeah. You know, I was only like in my early 20s. <clears throat> so we, we start sniffing cocaine and like, you know, got to the point where it's the nighttime. We must already must sniff two, three grams each. And I remember I got so paranoid that night. I'm in the front and call my friend Richie, Anthony, Gary. And I got so paranoid and that cocaine started twisting my mind, started like, you know, really playing tricks. My mind tried playing tricks on me. I thought to myself, I said, you know what? I said, these guys are going to kill me. And I got really afraid in the car. And that was all because of the cocaine. I literally opened the door. The car was doing 60 miles an hour and I jumped out wow. the window. Still have wow. a scar on the back of my head. Fucking road burn, ripped up my whole fucking back, everything. <clears throat> if I wasn't drunk, I would have been stiff. <clears throat> as soon as I went out, I broke my neck, but because I was so drunk, I felt, you know, and I went with remember, it. Remember, like, yeah. Yeah, I went with it, and, and I was able to. I, so then, because of that, you know, they went to the hospital, I had staph infection, and then the doctor gave me pain medication. That's where the whole, this right. is where then this whole chapter began. Right. With the pain pills, you know what I mean? And I remember I would take one, it was okay, but then after a week, they wouldn't work. And then I, instead of that, me, what excessive I am, my addictive behavior, instead of taking two, I went right to three. And I'm like, wow, these fucking things are great. I felt great. I remember I was sitting in my room. I didn't want to do any. I didn't have to do anything. I felt great just sitting in my bed. I had my little Dixie cup. I would just, that would be my little ashtray. I'd smoke like three packs of cigarettes and just sit there and itch and nod out on the pills. I'm like, wow, this is heaven. This is great. So then I went to look throughout the house. Because, you know, those pills are so common. You know, the hydrocodones, the, the generic Vicodins. My mother's got, you know, two bottles in her drawer, and we got the pill thing. They're, they're, they're like, not even used. Right. And I'm like, these people don't even know how valuable <laughs> this shit is. Do you even know what this is? Before, you know, I got, like, 30 bottles in my room. They're all empty. I'm telling you, I'm like, wow, this shit is great. And then, then that started, and then I'm looking for them on the street, and then cocaine on the weekends, and then flash forward 2005. The pills became a lot harder to find. 
a lot harder to find. You know, they were becoming more government regulated and, you know, with the triplicate prescriptions and they were cracking down a lot more. So it was really, really hard to, it was like a chore every single day. You know, oh, Lee, I don't get them no more. You know, I'm driving out to Long Island for, you know, pills. Right. It's like insane. So then this one kid brought to my attention that, you know, heroin is just like the pills. Oh, shoot. It's, it's an opiate, you know. Why don't you just do like me? I got this guy, you know. And, and then this kid would start getting it for me on his way home from work. And this kid was like a suit and tie right. kid, you know. You know, this kid Mike I know, educated. He'd get three or four bags. And that I, would be like sniff the heroin? Yeah, or? we'd snort it. We'd snort it. You know, it had the little in the glassine envelopes and it'd have the stamp, the different names. You know what I mean? Like Tommy. Blue Hill. Magic. Yeah, Bloom. Yeah, well, that was the movie. Blue Magic, the original script, because I read for a part in that. That's I read for so a part dope. of a Bruzo, one of the cops, but I was too young. Gangster. Yes. The original script, it wasn't supposed to be Russell Crowe. It was supposed to be Benicio Del Toro okay, as wow. Richie Roberts. And the director was Ridley Scott, Tony's mm -hmm. brother. But mm -hmm. you know who was supposed to direct it? Antoine Fuqua. He directed Training Day. Okay. Oh, it would have been a whole different... Denzel yeah. was always going to be yeah. Frank Lucas. Yeah, of course. But the original script was called True Blue, mm -hmm. not Blue Magic. That was the name of the dope, True Blue. So, and, yeah, so, so, so we started snorting it, you know? And to be honest with you, it was cheaper in the beginning. It was cheaper in the beginning, you know, because I was spending, I was taking 15, 20 pills at a time. And things were costing 2 $3 each. So that's, you know, that's $60 a day. And I had money back then, but, you know, it's still, still $60 yeah. a friggin' day. It just got to a point where, you know, like, you need this. You need it just to function, just so you don't get sick and your body starts aching, you get right. diarrhea, and you feel like climbing, crawling out of your own body. So you need... It's going to cost you the minimum $60 a day to feel normal. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit, look what I got myself into. But you were getting them for like cost, because I'm sure they were a little more expensive Well, on well the later on I was. Yeah. Not in the beginning. Then okay. I realized, then I said to myself, maybe if I start moving a couple, whoa, yeah. moving a couple, maybe I get them for, then I was doing them for free, but like that really helped, you know? Yeah. Um. And then, uh, you know, and you know, I dabbled in smoking crack here and there. Here and there. And my friend Jimmy, rest in peace. He was older than me. He was like 10 years older. We used to call him Aruba. Aruba was his nickname. And uh, he was a full-blown crackhead. And I mean, when this guy go on a mission, he'd be in his mother's basement for a month, oh, you know, like a week and a half. And he used to have the guys come down the, the side of the house, the side of the steps, and he used to open up the side window. And they used to give him, they used to give him like in the stairs downstairs. They used to give right. him, he used to give, they used to give him the crack through the window and he used to pay the money. That was... You know, I used to call his house, his mother, they were Arabic, you know. <laughs> just, well, it's not funny, but I used to say, you know, how you doing, Miss Nasa, Jimmy? Jimmy's in the basement. She used to say, Jimmy's in the basement. <laughs> you know what that means, right? So then I just used to go to the house, I used to bang on the fucking, you know, what's up? What's up? I used to come to the door, sweating, he'd be up for like five days. What's up? But do you know when you were doing these type of drugs, were you trying to escape anything? Like, you know, no, like, I but just, it just was fun because keep in mind, keep in mind. It wasn't fun anymore. But crack, smoking crack at that time, it wasn't the most normal thing to do. No, and but, but the, cocaine star, is, but. the cocaine is, crack is a form of cocaine in a harder, faster, exactly. cheaper way. Cook, exactly. Takes you right to the moon, but, but then I'm you come down really hard. But how many times did you feel like, you know, I remember doing drugs when I was young, you know, whether it be, uh, I remember E or acid or mushrooms or even sometimes, you know, messing with the with the brisk ones back in the day, you know. But the thing is, 
yeah, there's days I woke up or I realized like, damn, it's like I felt like fucking shit, or I felt like uh, you know you see yourself. You know what I mean? Like what I'm trying to say is, your group of friends, you look at me, not everybody's smoking crack. No. People look at you, you got to hide that type of shit, you know? Yeah, it's not, it's not like you're hanging out with girls and like, you hey, want to smoke some crack? You no, know? E- no, even the cocaine, because like we did, like I did it with all my friends, like we were all younger, and when we first all started experimenting, you know what I mean? But then you get like normal people, like, you know, like they met a girl and they're looking to settle down and right. like, you know, they're going to get engaged and like you're sniffing blow on your, you know, your great, <laughs> your, your, your freaking uh, junior high school yearbook. On a Tuesday night, watching Dave Letterman for absolutely no reason. Sure, sure. And then you're like, you know what? I got a problem. Right. This, you know, that wasn't the weekend anymore. Now it's just like during the week. Yeah, maybe I get a package. So I was doing the heroin, and I remember it was June of 2005. And my friend Aruba, rest in peace, he told me, "You keep messing with that pipe, it's going to get you one day, Lee, just like it got me." And I remember the exact day. I was going to go down to the gas station to get cigarettes, but there was a store on the way. So I said, you know what? Let me just get it here. There was these two kids from a neighborhood not too far from my neighborhood, Lake Avenue. And these two kids were in the car. And I remember they were talking really loud so I could hear. And the one kid said, yeah, no, Lilo's a good guy. He never forget where he came from. So I barely knew these kids. Like, I seen them around. So I looked down. I'm like, yo, thanks, bro. I appreciate it, right? So they knew. I mean, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a, a secret that I partied and that, you know, I got high. Right. So I remember the kid, the kid was like, yo, bro, come here, right? So they're sitting in the car, right? And I remember the kid, there were like two demons in the car. It was like, you know, like early summer day, it was hot. And these guys are smoking crack, you know what I mean? And I remember they just, they're in there and they got that, that devilish look and they're looking at me, yo, what's up, Lilo? I'm like, what's up, man? How's it going? And then I remember he had the pipe under his pants and he pulled it out and he goes like that and he looked at me, he goes, you interested? And these kids ain't stupid because they know I have money. So they said, let's turn him on. He'll get high and then he'll be treating us. You know what I mean? Right. That's not, you know? So he goes, you interested? And I'm like, I'm looking at the pipe and I'm looking at the store. I was here to get cigarettes back at the pipe. And then I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had the, you know, you got to push the front seat, the, the front seat forward for me to get yeah, it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a yeah, yeah. Thunderbird, right? Yeah. So this was back in 05. So he, and I remember he let, he lets me in the back seat and he says, uh, and I remember he's putting, he's putting the hit in the pipe and he says, uh, as he's doing, I said, no, no, don't worry about it. I said, I'll just, I'll just hit, take a resin hit. He's like, no, no, no. He tells me, he says, if you're gonna do it, do it the right way. So I remember he put a, he put like a twenty piece of crack in there. So I remember we drove around the block, and I remember I was smoking. And I mean, it, it changes you, and just like you know, in a heartbeat, you're a different person. And uh, then by the time we got out there, I went and got my cigarettes, and then. Uh, and I said, you guys want to hang out? And, you know, exact, their plan worked because I, I said, just take me to my house. I said, follow me. I'll take my car. I said, I want to get some money. I said, can you guys get more? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I remember I went to go get like a few hundred at my house and we went we went out and that was it. And that day, that was the day that my friend Jimmy said, you keep messing with that pipe. It's going to get you. It got me that day. That day, like I was able to do it before and then, you know, go work out all week. And, you know, whenever it was around, it was around. But after that day, I was looking for it every single day, every single day, smoking cracks and everything. How, how the fuck were you like doing like any jobs, like acting? <clears throat> like were you still able to maintain? Were you able? It was like a switch you could turn on. No, at that point, from that point, you know, like uh, June, 
I didn't really, I worked a little bit here and there, but nothing significant at that point because I didn't really give a shit. Like, I didn't really want to work. I just wanted to get high. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and, your demons were catching up. Yeah, yeah. That, that was it. That was the point of no return. And now I'm like getting in trouble with the law. What I got year pulled was off. This? 2005, I'm getting in trouble with the law. I got pulled off. I got four bags of heroin in the car. Now it's, I got to go to a drug program and this and that. I'm not doing good because they keep finding me dirty. And then I had this, this girlfriend. And, you know, got to the point she didn't want to be with me anymore. She was going to medical school, so she, like, threw me out. I was living with her. She threw me out. And then, uh, you know, and then I became friends with her father as mm. an excuse to go buy the house. Father was, you know, she would always tell me, Lilo, why are you hanging out with my father? He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. So we went, you know, then, uh, you know, we were hanging out. Never after hours. We would just go get drugs together, hang out. He calls me one night, it was like one in the morning, I was about to go to sleep, he said, Lilo, you want to go get a drink? I said, absolutely, I go pick him up, um, and I didn't come home for eight years after that night. Um, Walk us through, uh, you know, that night, you know. Well, I'll give you the abbreviated version, I don't want to go, because I got a civil case pending, so I don't want to yeah. say something, you know what I mean? But basically, we went to, uh, you know, burglarize a house, uh, well, I wasn't really burglarizing, but what it looks like, you know, I, I was, remember what I explained to you before? The only thing separating me from that fix is that window. I knew the guy, and I wasn't burglarizing because I knew that I could be in there. Even if I broke the window or climbed through it, I knew once he saw me, he would be cool with it. That's the way, you know, when you're on drugs, you think. Right. <clears throat> so what happened was uh, New York City police officer, he lived next door. He came out. He said, don't move. I moved. I turned around. He shot me, shot me twice, and then I was, like, holding on to my stomach, and then... Um, you know, I had blood squirting out of myself. I'm, like I'm almost running away because I didn't have a gun. And then the guy I was with, who I didn't know had a gun, they started shooting at each other, the cop and the, and the guy. And, you know, the guy I was with, he got shot nine times. Um, he fired his gun twice. I guess, I don't know, I didn't see it happen, but they found a bullet in the in the, you know, behind him, which tells me as he was getting shot, boom, he probably let off a shot and it went that way because they found it that way. Right. But he was able to get one shot off. He shot him in the heart, shot him in the heart and he killed him. Um, and <clears throat> then because, you know, there was what they thought was a burglary in progress, that's called felony murder in the commission. If you attempt to commit, you commit in furtherance or an immediate flight therefrom a felony. It results in the death of a non-participant. That's felony murder. Right. So it's like saying if you rob an old lady's purse and you scare her so much she has a heart attack. You didn't want to kill her. All you wanted to do was grab the $50 out of her purse. But because you scared her while you were robbing her, that's felony murder. Right. You don't commit that felony. You don't. So now, you know, <clears throat> I'm being charged with murder in the second degree. I'm like, what? You know, and then we found out it was a cop. We didn't even know it was a cop. He was off duty. Right. How did you find out that it was a cop? They, you know, these these doctors in the uh, in the emergency room because you know I had to get surgery. I lost my spleen, part of my colon. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was in bad shape, and I remember like not that day, the, not the first day, the day later because I was out of it because I went emergency surgery. I had a collapsed lung. I was on like life support, and I remember you know all this going on. But you know, some you know someone died. You know, someone lost their life. And I remember one of the doctors, he came and I remember he showed me the cover of the paper and he was like, are you proud of yourself? He goes, look, you and your friend killed a cop. I'm like, whoa, you know, like my, my worst nightmare was realized. Like I said, because of these drugs, maybe one day somebody, you know what I mean? And, and it, it or, or I would be knocked out and I'd wake up in a jail cell. I was in a hospital, but it's basically the same yeah. thing because I was handcuffed to the bed. 
<clears throat> and now I'm being charged with murder. You know, once we got be- better, you know, they brought us to Bellevue Hospital. And then Bellevue, they brought us to, you know, Rikers Island. I remember being in that ESU van, December 19th, 2005. It was cold out. We had the orange jumpers on. It was about 130 pounds. My co-defendant was sitting across from me. And I remember looking back and I seen Dittmar's Boulevard. Mm. And I'd never even been to Rikers Island. I only heard about it on the news and friggin', sure. you know, documentaries. And I'm like, damn, I hope I don't ever end up at that place. And I remember, uh, I didn't even know, and the guy's name was Steve. I was like, where the hell are we? He goes, we're at Rikers Island. He told me, we're at Rikers Island. I'm like, oh, my heart sank. I'm like, oh, we got to go through this shit now. And uh, it was three years I spent there. Three years, you know, my first year there, I was getting high. I overdosed in my cell. You were getting high in jail? Yeah, I was getting high. I was getting morphine at church. I had another guy. Were you, like, giving money to the um, COs? No, well, I had, uh, you know, I had... I had these kids, like one kid I used to go to church, he was in a wheelchair, and he used to get morphine. They used to give it to him, but he didn't take it. So he would save it, and I'd see him every Saturday. He'd give me 20 morphines, and my mother would send him a, a money order. I would tell him it was for cigarettes. And then there was another kid on the cell block next to me. I used to call him through the pipes, because his cell was right behind mine. I used to call him, yo, through the pipe chase. He used to meet me on the thing. He used to put it in the ramen noodles. And the way he used to seal up the bag, it was like came right from the factory. And I remember he used to put four bags of dope in there. Yeah. And you almost overdosed. It was overdosed. from Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh, I did overdose. You did? Yeah, November 12, 2006. But do you know why? Why did you overdose? <clears throat> because I'm a glutton. Because I took 25 morphine pills. And then the other kid said, oh, yo, by the way, I got some soup. You want some soup? So now I got four bags of dope. I already took f- 25 morphine pills. I could have hid the dope and t- sniffed it the next right. day. But I said, you know what? Maybe I should just do it. You know, maybe I'll get more high. Maybe it'll feel better in case they find it. I don't want to sleep. And then they wake us up in the middle of the night with a search. If they find it, you, you know think, what I mean? You, you think too much, you know? And you that's think. why. And then I end up sniffing four bags of that. And I go in the corner in the, in, in the TV room. I roll myself up a cigarette. And I remember everybody's all over the place. It was just one guy in the TV room, this guy Bobby. And I told him, watch out for me. So he's looking down the cell block. I'm in the corner where the camera can't see me, where the toilet bowl is yep. in the TV room. So they can't have the camera while a guy's taking a crap, you know? So the camera's that way. So I'm underneath. Hey, I remember when I'm taking, I'm smoking a cigarette. I remember something, I just, like, I felt like, felt like, I felt like, yeah. I, like I was choking, like, yeah. like my, it felt like a vacuum and like my throat was pulling my tongue. Like I was choking on my tongue. And I couldn't control. I said, holy shit, I never felt anything like that. It felt like I wanted to swallow my tongue. And I said, holy shit, this is not good. So I put the cigarette out. I told the guy, Bobby, I said, I'm going to go in my cell. I said, I'm going to go relax a little bit. I said, come check on me in a few minutes. Make sure I'm all right. And uh, another kid saw me. This other guy, Martin, he's walking down. He said he saw me choking. And he says he, he said he saw my hands on my throat and he heard me like choking and fighting for my life. He said my eyes. So when he came in the thing, he said all he seen was white. My eyes were behind my head. Bottom line is I overdosed. A couple of days later, they gave me the drug test. I came up positive for morphine, for opiates. They sent me to the box, 80 days. Um, and while I was there, I just decided, you know what? I never want to get high again. And I never did. I never did. November 18, 2006 was the last time I ever got high in my life. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, it. Yeah, that was your rock you. bottom. Congratulations yeah. for that. But yeah. listen, were you targeted in jail? No. As far as what? Like, you're a celebrity. Like people thinking that you have money or <laughs> trying to start things with you to see if you are a gangster. Well, as crazy as it is, because of what I was there for, uh, a lot of people respected that. Even though I, you know, yeah, I can say I made a contribution, and you know, I take responsibility for what my participation was and how my drug addiction and my right. 
my bad choices contributed to the death right. of the police officer. But because of what, that, what was his name? The police officer. Yeah. His name was uh, Daniel N. Chautegui. Yeah, we definitely, you know, send our prayers out, send to, our prayers out to him and his family. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that, you know, there's nothing that you could really say that, you know, could, you know, bring a life back. You know? No. But I de definitely. Yeah, there's not one day that goes yeah. by that I don't think about that night, how I could change it. But, you know, you can't do that in life. So you just hope to make better decisions in the future and to, you know, have his purpose in life is to be my angel and to look over me and for his, him sacrificing his life, it caused me to do a lot of good and to help others, which That's I do, good. which I do. I go to schools, colleges, addiction yeah, centers. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Did you uh, try to make peace with the family? Well, I can't really do that right now. But you guys are still <clears throat> having like your own. Well, I, well, I have a civil case pending. Right. Um, I can't really do that because as one of my parole stipulations, I can't have any contact, contact. with the family. Like I posted his picture um, you know, in 2000, uh, when was it? 2005, December, it was a 10 year anniversary of, you know, you know, his, his death. And I posted a picture of him and, you know, uh, you know, how he said, how he was a hero cop and how he lost his life. And, you know, there was, you know, on Instagram, there's a lot of nice comments yeah. and Lilo, you know, it takes I mean, a big I man. feel like you wholeheartedly have like remorse. Like, Absolutely. So, I do. I when mean, people say I don't, yeah, it's like, you no. know, I mean, I'm not some sociopath. Yeah. I'm a you know, kid from a good family, I, you know, made some bad choices in life. And, you know, I don't think those bad choices should define me right. because I've, you know, I've changed. I'm a different person. If I came home from prison and, you know, I was still out there and you hear about me in the news, you know, uh, drunken driving or gets right. into still a fight. Partying. Right. Then you say you should have left yeah. him where he was. Now, but I'm doing the exact opposite. What did you say you said on Instagram? There was a lot of nice comments. and then There was what? a lot of nice comments. And then one girl said, uh, you know, how come you never... She said, how come you never apologized to the family or this or that, right? And I said, you know, like I'm saying, you know, you always get these nosy people. They want to stick their business into shit that's, that doesn't right. have nothing to concern with them. They, they they know nothing and they just want to start trouble, you know? So I said I said to the girl, I said, how do you know that I didn't right. apologize to the family? So then she, she made me feel, she said, well, because I was there with my mother when the police came to the door and told her that her brother was dead because of you and your friend. And then I realized, oh, it's the niece. Because mm -hmm. I remember seeing them at trial. Right. And then I changed my tone. I'm not going to talk, you know. Right. Listen, she lost her uncle. And, uh, you know, I says, well, I apologize. You know, I said, I can't imagine what you guys are going through and what you've went through. I said, but the reason why I never did is because I'm on parole. And one of the, the one of my first stipulations is that I am not to have any contact with any of you. Right. And I respect that. And I, res I respect parole. Because, you know what, parole keeps me in line. Not that I need it, but you know what? It's helped me reenter society the right way. And, you know, all the people down at parole, you know, they know what I did for a living and they've never held me back from doing anything I needed to do. Right. Business-wise. And, you know, they're good people down there and I do respect it. I'm not just saying that because they treat no, me right, better when course. I get down there. You know, How? you know, you, you, started, you started working again and, you know, I know that um, there was some boycotting going on. Um, but Mike Tyson... Did you have a relation with him, or why did he? I, I know he supported you in, in, in some sense. Tell us about that. Well, you know, we were in a film together called Back in the Day. Mm -hmm. My friends, my good friends, William DeMeo, Paul Borghese. Mm -hmm. um, he happened to be in the film. I didn't have any scenes with him, nor did I ever meet him. But I guess the fact that I was in the film, which he knew about, and he knew of the boycotting, because I was, you know, I made the front cover of the New York Post for being in that film, and once, uh, you know, 
the police benevolent association and uh you know once they got wind of it they wanted to you know boycott the film and uh i guess mike tyson you know the fact that he was able to empathize you know for the fact that he was incarcerated himself did lend his support which i was very thankful for but you know at the same time you know uh, you can't blame the police for doing what they did sure i mean listen they were brotherhood Sure. And they, st- you know, you got to respect them. And, they're, and, they're, and, they're very strong. Right. And no matter, you know, cop was wrong or not, they still support each other. Of course. And uh, you know, I wish, uh, you know, just as people, we were more supportive of one another the way the police are. Yeah. And we can learn a lot from them because I've seen firsthand how powerful and how closely they stick together. The police and the Puerto Ricans. You know. Like the same. <laughs> yeah. Now, no, but I'm. <laughs> now, now, now. <laughs> um. Somebody, like, I read somewhere that you have uh, five projects. I'll tell you what, Italians don't stick together. Black people either. Italians don't stick together. You you know, you're right about that. You're right about that. Yeah, what would you want to exit? So I just wanted to know, like, because by, like, Hollywood standards, someone with your troubled past and certain things that happen would have a career that it would be over, but you do have like projects still coming out and you're still working. Like, what do you say is the reason or what still keeps you afloat? I mean, you know what? I gotta be honest with you. I think Bronx Tale was such a great film and it's it's such a timeless classic. And you know, they've been showing it a lot on TV the last month or so, I guess because of the, uh, the musical. Right. I guess because of the musical, it's right. been given a lot of airtime again. And you get a lot of people that have never seen the movie, kids that are 16, 17 years old, and they watch this movie, and when they see me, and they're like, wow, i just seen that movie. It's like my favorite movie ever. It's like so timeless. You can show that movie 20 years from now, and people still be like, wow, I love that movie. One of the greats. And I think because that movie has made such, the mark that it's made in the history of film is immeasurable. And I think for that fact, I think, I mean, listen, you know, I mean, will I ever make a film like The Bronx Tale? Hey, listen, I hope I do. You know, but if I never did, I could always say I made The Bronx Tale. Sure, sure. And I was, you know, that, that never goes away. And I think for that film, I think I'll always be able to get some work. And listen, you know, I think at this point in time, whatever I do get, I'm very thankful for. And it's a great opportunity. But, you know, there's always a flip side to everything. And, you know, some people may say, you know, listen, he was responsible for this, that, and this. And, uh, you know, for that reason, maybe I don't want to be associated with stuff like that. And listen, you, this is you got this is the nature of the beast. You got to understand it. You can't get mad or take it personal because it's myself and my bad decisions that put me in that situation. So I can't blame anybody else and say, right. you, 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 fuck, you don't want to put me in your movie? No, it's because of the bad decisions I made. Well, you know, well realize it now, that I think, is, is a big part of it. But, you know, and I'm sure, you know, one of the parts that obviously everyone says this, one of the parts that is in Bronx Tales called the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. Right. You know? Now, you still have a lot of life to live, but it's like funny how that movie tries to depict what you've been through. You well, know? Art imitating life. Exactly. And life imita- imitating art. Um, what was that exact line for people who may just never even seen the movie that are listening? It says... Well, the saddest thing in life is, is wasted talent. And, and it came from the, and the choices we make will shape our lives forever. That's exactly the truth. It's exactly the truth. Yes, I 100% agree with the saddest thing in life is is wasted talent. 
great, great, great words and very important, but I can relate more to the other words. The choices we make will shape our life, our lives forever. I, you know, that's something else that I've seen firsthand. It's because of the choices and that one choice that I made to go out that night with that person and to do what I did, it may define me forever. I mean, there's people that, uh, you know, may not define you for that, but there are, you know, that's what I try to tell these kids, like, you know, you have no idea, you have no idea how precious being young is because you still have all of this life to live. But be careful because these choices that you make now, right now you're at the crossroads. You make this choice, you're going to go this way. If you make this choice, you're going to go this way. Once you go down this way, there's no coming back. So you have to be really, really careful and be very, very selective in the choices that you make. Just like you said, it's going to shape your life forever. One bad choice can ruin your life forever, forever. I remember there was a saying, it takes a second to get into trouble and a lifetime to get out of it. That's a good saying. It's very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I know, I, I know uh, you know, you, your response to this may be just your, your open heartfelt, but do you love yourself? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Now, the reason why I say that for, I mean, now I'm glad to hear you say that, but when just time and time again, you know, overdosing and the drugs and stuff like that, you know, I think when someone comes to a point, the demons are taking over them, you know, being addicted. I've seen, I mean, I lost my brother-in-law to drugs, you know, you know, he overdosed. And, but I'm just saying, I think there was a point in time where he didn't, he didn't love himself. And he just, I think he wanted to die, even though he had a family. Do you want to have a family? Do you have yeah, children? no, Absolutely. I've, you know, the reason why I could say I honestly love myself is because, like, you know, being away, you know, for the situation that I mentioned before, I went to Rikers Island for three hours, three three years, I fought the case, I was acquitted of murder in the second, acquitted of burglary charges, but I was found guilty of an, an, an attempted burglary in the first degree with serious physical injury to a non-participant, and as a result of the conviction, I was sentenced to 10 years I already did three in Rikers, so I had to go upstate and do five and five and a half because you do 85% for a violent crime. Um, when I was up there, I remained sober. I got sober. And also, uh, I, I uh, enrolled in a, a male correspondence school, a school in Georgia. And, you know, I studied and I got a business degree. I got 60 credits in business management. So I learned so much while I was up there. It was the perfect... You got uh, your GED, right? Well, the GED first, but then I actually got like an associate's degree. Nice. You know, I figured, why not? You know, it makes sense. I'm here. You know, you got these kids, oh, I'll just do it when I get home. I'm like, bro, if you're not doing it here, (laughs) you're not not doing doing it when you get home. home. Definitely. Right here is where you got to do it. You're sitting in your cell. You got three, you know what I mean? Got all that downtime. Why not do that? It makes so much sense. Who held you down while you were in jail? Oh, I had my, you know. Your wifey? No, I met my girlfriend later on. I met her on Instagram. Oh, snap. Toward the last year. Slid in her DMs? You know, well, the Bronx Tale was on TV, believe it or not. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't even have it. My friend had the page for me outside. I didn't even know what Instagram was, but he was locked up with me. And then I would I stay in contact with him, which I wasn't really allowed to do. But, uh, oh, well, he going to put me back in jail for that. Yeah. So <clears throat> he told me, he said, there's this new thing called Instagram. I knew about Facebook and Twitter, but he said, there's this new thing called uh, Instagram. He said, it's pretty cool. He said, you know, you, you post pictures and, you know, this and that. And he's got a lot of girls on there. And he said... He said, it'll be good for you while you're in there. Keep you busy. You know what I mean? He goes, I'll give you all your messages. And it was great because I was meeting new girls all the time. I was getting right. visits every weekend, you know? <laughs> it was back page. Yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Jail so, page. You know, 
So they're coming in, and then and then and then the Bronx Tale was on TV, and uh, she left them something. She tagged me in a picture from the movie and said, "I love this movie. I love this guy. Cinema classic." So my friend Stevie said, "Oh, you got to see this girl, bro. She's nice." And uh, and then what happened was he got her number for me. We started talking, and a few months later she came to see me, and that's it. She's my the rest girl. has been history. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, you, you, you're still doing some work now, right? You know, you're doing different films and stuff like that. I'm glad you finally shaved your fucking head, you know? Yeah. You, it's funny because I, 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 when you came home and uh, you had all these interviews, in the comments, they're like, well, he needs to get rid of it. It looks like a toupee on his fucking head, you know? Yeah. But listen, the day we hung out, the <laughs> next day you fucking shaved your fucking head. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that, you know. But listen, one thing about your journey is, 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 is not over, and, and that's the reason why I ask you if you love yourself because you kind of, you kind of like almost. Well, the fact that I'm staying sober, I work out seven days a week, and you live a healthy life. That's right. I mean, I think have children. I hope to. What do you Are want? You working now? on it. Uh, well. Right now, I want to get, I mean, I'm doing better financially, but I want to, I mean, I don't want to bring a kid into a world and have them struggle. So I want to be able to be in a situation where I can right. give them pretty much, I mean, listen, you know, within reason what they want. Sure. And, uh, you know, I plan after parole to move out to California. So, you know. Second life. Yeah. Do you think maybe you'll start producing movies? Well, I hope to God. I hope to God I do. I would like, you know, I've, I love film. I love everything about it. And uh, I think I would, uh, you know, I, I get a rush out of doing that. Yeah. And just, you know, bringing something from the ground up and getting a script and producing and, you know, everything around it and casting actors and, you know, finding locations. I like that kind of stuff. I really do. Didn't you used to run into Tupac back in the day? I ran into a couple times. Yeah, a couple times. I seen him one time at the House of Blues. And then I seen him, the last time I seen him was at this, uh, the Beverly Center in the, uh, the Valet Park in this Club Tempest. <laughs> and I remember I seen him, he had the leather pants on, he had the Rolls Royce. And I remember I said, you know, how you doing? We started talking for a minute. And I said, nice to see you. He gave me a hug, said, nice to see you. And uh, that, was, that was it. That, that was the going out days. Yeah. You know? But listen, hey, you know, I mean, like I said, there's, there's definitely more to live. And, you know, we, we wish the best to you, you know, moving forward. And, you know, continue to stay sober. Thank you. Continue to stay healthy. I know you live a healthy life. Something that I'm trying to do, but I can only do it like the morning and then by the afternoon I'm fucking back to eating something crazy. You just need to drink more water. Well, yeah, that too. But, but you know, life is, um, you know, I think whatever you're going to make it. You know, if you're going to stay sober, you're going to stay, you know, right. focused. I control my own destiny right now. That's it. You know, if I stay sober, I'm going to live whether it's in film or not. Yeah. I mean, because I'm an actor or if I decide not to be an actor, that doesn't mean I'm better or worse. I mean, it's something I did at one point in my life. Do I want to continue to do it? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if those blessings continue to be bestowed on me, then, you know, so be it. But if not, you know, and, it, you know, God has another path for me or another calling for me and maybe to help, you know, I'm okay. I'm fine with that because that may be even a better path, yeah. you know? I mean, looking back, do you have any memories that really just, you know, kept you going through those hard times that you reflected on things that made you happy i mean like what did you fight for you know? you, while i was all, while, while while you were away and while well, i had my family i had no. my family my friends my mother and father adopted me when i was a little kid they gave me a better life and then i put them through all this and then i said if i don't owe it to myself i at least owe it to them 
I at least owe it to them. To show them that, right. yeah. That it was at least worth coming to get me down there, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Listen, Lilo, thank you for finally and making this you. fucking happen. And thank you. Really you know, great. I know, I know, you know, I kidded around a lot in the last 113 minutes and 26 seconds. But <laughs> I do want to say thank you for the opportunity to you all. Appreciate it. And, uh, you know. Uh, you know, my kidding around is just, uh, you know, an expression of me. It's therapeutic. You know, uh, just, you know, at a much better time and a much better place in my life where I've reached a moment of clarity. I don't ever want anyone to ever, you know, uh, misconstrue that as me being arrogant or anything like that because that's the furthest thing, you know, f from, you know, the furthest thing from the truth of what I really am. I'm very... Like I said, I'm very thankful. You know, things could have ended up a lot worse for me. Right. And, uh, you know, I could have been away for the rest of my life or, you know, even worse, I could have been dead. And just, you know, I mean, that we shouldn't ever take life for granted because every breath, forget about every day, every single breath is a gift and you are to treat it that way. And I think if you treat it that way, you will live a much better quality of life. And we all have to be mindful, you know, of each other and respect one another and love each other regardless of, you know, whatever, you know, in whatever way we're different. We're still all people. We're still right. all people of God, and we all got to love each other. And, you know, and thank you. And thank you for this opportunity. No, of course. Listen, you know, I'm rooting that for you. That was the ultimate gem. No, of course. You know, I'm rooting for you, you know, and, um, you know. We both are. I think just, you're great. Just, just stay, you. stay focused, you know, and... and, and don't worry about no drugs. Find a vice. You eat. Well, that's what I That's why I work out seven days a yeah. week. That endorphin high, I can't. Smart guy. You know? Well, there you go. I Listen. worked out today. I'm a little hungry now, Pete. Hello, all right, I'm all right. to tell him. Well, she's always hungry. She always wants something. You got to eat know? four to five times a day. She always wants something. Get, we're going to get Petey to bring that, get out that checkbook. <laughs> but listen, it's, internet. Just kidding. Internet. Let me tell you something. We got your submissions, and I love that everybody keeps on continuing to comment in the iTunes section. Like I said, we're going to do some giveaways. We got your everybody who submitted. Be on the lookout. You'll be getting something, whether you know whether that be an email or whether that be something coming to your house, and we'll move from there. But if you haven't, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, but leave comments in the iTunes, and all, make sure you leave like a um, an Instagram name or a Twitter name so we can contact you at. Right. Can I can I leave my Instagram name? Sure. What, what are you on Instagram? Um, Lilo L I L L O underscore Brancato B. R A N C A T O. <laughs> yo, the way you said that was like B. I L. No, no, it's the way I talk into the phone. Yo, the way you said that was like uh, uh, B I N G O. B. Don't worry, internet. As soon as you type in Lilo, it's gonna pop up. Well, there's that one girl, Lily Galici. <laughs> yeah, but she got a lot of followers. She got like, she, you know, Lily Galici. Go well, on. I didn't know when Go I on this. See, I got every I got, time I put L I L L, she pops up before me. Who are you? I say. I got Leland John, little little I yachty, and then him. I don't ever type no more. When I text, I talk like me. So. The phones, you see, the microphones over there. You get some people they talk into the screen. I'm like, what are you doing? The microphones on the bottom, but your phone has got to get familiar and it's got to learn your voice. That's a fact. So I have to talk like this, and he always says something Nick, when I do it. Nick, you're fucking sick I do all the time. You ever see that show Small Wonder? You remember the show Small Wonder? No. She's a small wonder. 
You remember Vicky was the robot? Oh, the, the sister? robot girl. That was the name of the show. Hello, Perfect. my name is Vicky. I remember and at night they used show. to take the batteries out of her and put her in the closet. They used to come at like five in the morning. You don't remember that show? No, I don't. I'm going to get you the box set I I, I don't for your birthday. That show. We're going to Internet, listen, we're wrapping up this crazy episode. We'll see you next episode. Lilo Bron- you me Lila. Lilo Broncato. Lilo. That's what used to call me in school. Lilo. Lilo Broncato. Lilo. Blessings, my brother. Thank you. Blessings to you too, my friend. See you next episode. God bless you. Al.